manufacturing plant is closing its doors. Most of my players have parents that work at the plant. This ain't gonna be pretty. I'm down three coaches, but I do think I have a solution for cross country. No, I don't even like running. Don't die, don't die. Cross country's not even a real sport. Uh, why would anyone want to do this? I'm just impressed that you finished. You are my best option. Y'all here for tryouts? No, sir, we're just hanging out. Hey, are you here for cross country? Yes, sir. I had one girl show up and she's got asthma. Oh, you mean Hannah Scott. Do you enjoy running? It's really the only thing I'm good at. Why have a season with one runner? One runner matters. The only thing Thomas, you got time for a visit? Hello, coach. So you changed force, and you still got no team. Well, that's sad even for me. I get it. You have to coach cross country, but it's not the end of the world. For someone who knows the Lord, you're acting like somebody who doesn't. You give some very inspirational speeches to your players about stepping up under pressure and going the extra mile. Anna, getting faster. Your life is worth so much more than this. To who? When you find your identity in the one who created you, it'll change your whole perspective. Something or someone will have first place in your heart. Where's your team? She's right there. What have you allowed to define you? Overcomer. Say that with me. Overcomer. Thanks so much for being here this weekend. God is good. And all the time. You know, wherever you're at on campus, those in the main building, those out in the amphitheater, in the coffee shop, the lobby, the chapel, those watching online, other campuses around the Bay Area. Thank you so much for being here this weekend. Uh, we are in a series all this month. We're looking at some of the summer films, the themes that are found in those films, and then what the Bible has to say about that theme. Last week, we looked at the film Endgame. What exactly is God's endgame, and how does the vision of a perfect world transform the way that we live in the present world? And for the next few moments, I want to talk with you about this film Overcomer, I want to borrow the title of that film and have you think with me about the spirit of an overcomer, the mindset of an overcomer, that this girl in the film, she's a runner who's an overcomer. How can we leave here with that kind of spirit today? I'm going to invite everybody to stand, if you would, and read the memory verse for the weekend. You can see it up on the screens, and let's fill this place with the Word of God. Let's declare it together. We should run the race that is set before us and never quit. Can we read it one more time? We should run the race that is set before us and never quit. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you so much for this moment in time. Thank you for this wonderful cathedral family, guests and friends who are here.
God, I pray that you would help us to hear the one thing that we need to hear. There'll be lots of things that are said, but help us to lock in on that one thing, that your spirit will take that truth, apply it to our lives, and this week will be different. It really will, because we met you in this moment. Start with me. That's our heart. That's our desire. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's give God praise for his word. Amen. Amen. Well, before you're seated, how about if we do something? It's a little bit different. It is. But it'll kind of lean us in the way that we're going today. Before you're seated, look at somebody and tell them, I sure could use a new pair of shoes. Go ahead. I sure could use a new pair of shoes. Would you look at that? Look at what the tech team brought me, a new pair of shoes. Actually, a staff member recently bought me a new pair of shoes. How about that? Yeah, we got a great staff. And they're doing their best. They see me getting a little older, so now they're starting to buy my clothes to help me look hip and trendy. And so they brought me these new pair of shoes. Now, I hadn't worn them till this weekend, but I thought today's the day to give it a go. So I'm going to open the box, going to take them out. What do you think? And let me put them on. Give me just a moment here. Had to use a chair. If God wanted me to touch my toes, he would have put them on my knees. Amen. So let me get these shoes on. Almost done. Oh, help me out. I need a little help. Come on. Here we go. All right. I think I can do it. Here we go. Here we go. All right. What do you think? (laughs) Do they make me look thinner? I don't (laughs) Now, you could probably tell what kind of shoes these are. These are. If you notice the brand, shout it out with me. Nikes. I mean, it's one of the biggest brands in all the world. They have over 60% of the market share in athletic shoes. And did you know the word Nike goes all the way back to the first century? that there was a name of the goddess of victory. It was called Nike, victory. And that you can even find Nike in the Bible. The word Nike. In one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul takes this word for victory, Nike, And he makes this unusual combination. He takes super and he puts it together with victory. And he comes up with a word that means super victorious. Super victorious. Not just victorious, but super victorious. In fact, we read it. In Romans 8, 37, 
In one translation, it reads this way. In all these things, we are more than what? Winners. We owe it all to Christ who has loved us. In another translation, it says, despite all these things, overwhelming what? Victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And in all these things, we are more than what? Conquerors Conquerors through him who loved us. Super victorious. The mindset of a winner. The attitude of a winner. I'm not just wearing these shoes for the sermon. These shoes are the sermon. They're the big idea. Super victorious. Do you have your Nikes on? A runner who's an overcomer. And yet there are two truths that are, well, they're both equally true. One of them we spoke a moment ago, that God is good. And all the time. And there's another reality, and that reality is this. Life is hard. It really is. It may not look like it if you're checking out everybody's Instagram account or their Facebook page, but stand next to me after a service and listen to people talk to me about the race they've been running. We all have our own races to run. And now you can hit a twist and a turn, and before you know it, there's a bad report that's come back from the doctor. Or the police show up at your door looking for your son. Or you fall back once again into that addiction. Or your fiance tells you to take a hike. Or you lose your job, and you're living in your car. Or you are so depressed, despair has set in. And this week you thought about ending it all. There you are, running your own race. You run into a twist or a turn. You trip and you fall. You're flat on the back, not sure you have the strength to get up and take another step. And if that's where you're at this weekend, I am so glad that you made it to church. I really am. Because I believe you're not here by accident. You're not here by chance. God brought you to this place because he wants to meet you in this moment to help get you back up onto your feet and back in the race. Amen. I believe that. I really do. You may have come through these doors with one pair of shoes, but God wants to give you a new pair of shoes. Victory is in the air. Winning is in the air. Overcoming is in the air. Runners who are overcomers. Look with me about having this overcoming spirit. In Romans chapter 8, there are four reasons that we can have our Nikes on today. Four reasons that we are runners who are overcomers. First of all, look at who is for us. Look at who is for us. The Bible says in Romans 8.31, what shall we say then? 
or I'm, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? I want that to get in your spirit. God is for me. Say that with me. God is for me. Own it. Say it again. God is for me. Let the truth break through the lie. Say it one more time. God is for me. When you know who is for you and you're running your race and you run into a giant. Have you ever run into a giant? Boy, I I love this picture right up here. It's one of my favorite pictures. Here's a kid who gets in the ring and he's facing a giant. And when you're running your race and you run into a giant, it can be a financial giant, it can be a giant in your marriage, it can be a giant in your behavior, it can be a giant in your career, And when that giant is staring down at you and that giant starts talking trash to you, wow, that giant can cause anxiety. In fact, anxiety itself can be a giant. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I read an article in Science Alert online and it said that America is in the midst of an anxiety epidemic it's everywhere and if you've ever fought that giant of anxiety and you haven't been able to sleep or you haven't been able to eat or you've had a hard time catching your breath or you felt yourself on the verge of a panic attack if you've ever run into that giant That can seem about right. That giant staring down at you, talking trash to you. And if you're facing that giant today, I want to say, I can feel your pain. Because I've run into that giant too. Now that may be hard for some of you to believe. You see me up here speaking to lots of people on the weekend. And after all, Pastor Ken, you're a member of Raider Nation, right? How can you have anxiety? But truth be told, looking back over the years, check some of my battle scars. And when I had the opportunity to become the lead pastor at Cathedral and to follow the footsteps of my father, what an awesome privilege. But talk about something that could cause you stress. My dad was a generational pastor, and to follow in his footsteps, I had to battle with anxiety, and sometimes that battle would be so severe, I even came down with a bad case of bleeding ulcers. But here's the thing. If I would have walked away from that giant and got out of the ring, I wouldn't have only lost a battle. I would have missed out on my destiny. And so I got back in the ring. I kept fighting that battle. And I knew, I knew that God was for me. 
And if God is for me, it doesn't matter who or what is against me. And God gave me strength and God gave me strategy. And today I am still running my race, fulfilling my purpose. Thanks be to God and what God did for me. God can do for you. Whatever kind of giant you're facing today, remember, God is for you. And if God is for you, it doesn't matter who or what is against you. God can give you strength. God can give you strategy. And at the end of the day, you will take that giant down. Let's give God praise. Amen. I've got my Nikes on. Hallelujah. I have my Nikes on. Say that with me. I have my Nikes on. Why, well, God is for me. And look at how God provides for me. This is an amazing passage, Romans 8. It reads in Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up, underline it, circle it, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all thanks. Wow. If you scour the Bible and you're looking for the greatest example of a person's devotion to God, it seems to me the story you come to is the one where Abraham offers up his son Isaac as a sign of his devotion to God. Talk about devotion. Scholars aren't sure. The Bible doesn't say how old Isaac was when Abraham offered him up to God. My guess is he had to be under 12 years old because if he was a teenager, it wouldn't have been a sacrifice. (laughs) And all the parents who have teenagers said amen to that. So here is Abraham, he takes his son and he offers him up to God as a sign of his devotion to God. And Paul takes the same language that's used in the story in Genesis and he uses it here in Romans chapter 8 because he wants you to make this connection. He says, there was once a man who was so devoted to God that he offered up his son. But there was once a God who was so devoted to man that he offered up his son. This is how much you mean to God. This is how much you matter to God. Can we give God praise for the amazing sacrifice Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And then he goes on to say, if God did that for you and for me, that kind of sacrifice, he makes an argument from the greater to the lesser. If you wrote the big check, think of it this way. How many dog people do we have in the audience? Let me see your hands. Yeah, lots of dog people. I read that the most expensive dog ever sold was this dog right up here, a Tibetan Mastiff. 
Now, this dog has a 5,000-year history. It used to be owned by Tibetan royalty. And a few years back, there was a property developer in China that at a pet fair bought a puppy for $2 million. $2 million. Do you know how much $2 million is? It's $2 million more than Nike paid me to pay these shoe, or wear these shoes. $2 million. Now, I don't know anything else about this developer. I don't. But my guess is if he paid $2 million to get his hands on the dog, he probably made sure the dog got its shots. And he probably bought some food for the dog. And he may have even picked up a few bones and a few toys for the dog. I mean, if he was willing to write the big check, doesn't it follow that he'll be willing to write the small checks too? And when it comes to God, if he was willing to write the big check and offer up his son for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? That everything we need to live an overcoming life, the wisdom we need, the grit we need, the courage we need, the grace we need, everything you and I need to live an overcoming life. If God wrote the big check, you can be sure that God is going to write the small check too. Amen. God is going to provide for us. Hallelujah. What do you need today? See, I have my Nikes on because God is for me and God provides for me. And then God has justified me. This is another powerful picture. In Romans 8, we read this. It says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Say that with me. No one. Say it again. No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What a powerful, powerful declaration. In these words, Paul takes us into a courtroom. We know what a courtroom looks like. Over on this side is the prosecutor. And in this picture, the prosecutor is the devil. He is the accuser. And we are the defendant. And the prosecutor is very good at what he does. He has a file on you. He has a list of all of your sins. You should see the list he has of my sins. And he starts listing off all of the wrong things that you've done. And at first you think, well, that's not so bad. But you know what? He's just getting started. <laughs> and he continues on and on and on. And he, as he gets to the middle of the page... You just start hanging your head, slouch down in your chair, because you know 
every single one of those things is true. It is. You did the crime. You deserve the time. You deserve to be condemned. And then the defense attorney steps up. And his name is Jesus. He is there on your behalf. He is there to intercede for you. And the defense attorney looks to the judge and he says, Judge, it's true. My client, he did the crime. But on the cross, I did the time. We did the crime. Jesus did the time. And that sin has been paid for. And the judge takes the gavel and he says, case is dismissed. You're free to go. The crime has been paid for. Case is dismissed. And you leave the courtroom victorious. And maybe that's what you need to hear today. You need to hear the gavel of God. That you've been stuck in that chair, hanging your head, stuck in your guilt, stuck in your shame, stuck in your past. And today you need to hear the gavel of God. In this section over here, listen to the gavel of God. Case is dismissed. You are free to go. Your sins are forgiven. In this section over here, case is dismissed. You are free to go. Your sins are forgiven. In this section over here, you ready? This section over here, case is dismissed. You are free to go. Your sins are forgiven. How about in the balcony? Anybody in the balcony today? Oh, in the balcony, your case is dismissed. You are free to go. Your sins are forgiven. How about all of us today, wherever you're at on campus, those watching online, case is dismissed. You are free to go. Your sins are forgiven. Today is the day to walk away from your past and take hold of your future. This is the power of the gospel. Tim Keller says this. He says, here's the gospel. You're more sinful than you ever dared believe, but you're more loved than you ever dared hope. Well, this is why we have our Nikes on. See, we, we know that God is for us, and we know God's going to give us everything we need to live an overcoming life. And we know that we are justified by God, that we can overcome our past and take hold of our future. And then finally, I've got my Nikes on today because I know who loves me. Look at who loves me. The Bible says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's a very important question because all of us are afraid of, of getting one of these. I, I found this one breakup text online. You can see it here. They break up in memes. Here's a text. It has hearts. They were once in love. You can see them together. Time goes by. A broken heart. A wave goodbye. He runs away. She says, did you just break up with me? And he says, yes, I did. 
Don't you hate when that happens? Don't get any ideas either. Psychologists say that one of the deepest human fears has to do with you and I getting one of those texts from someone we love. So this question, who shall separate us from the love of God? Will God ever send me a breakup text? Paul says, I am convinced that nothing, nothing, say that with me, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing. We can live in the assurance of that love, the security of that love, the overcoming power of that love. And it's so important, especially in the Silicon Valley, because you and I, all the time, we are loved based on conditions. We really are. Your boss will love you as long as you're making those sales. And your fans will love you as long as you're hitting those home runs. You know, and your bank will love you as long as you're making those payments. And your cat will love you. You know what? Your cat is never going to love you. You just might as well accept it. Just accept it. We are so used to being loved based on conditions. And when we don't measure up, we get that breakup text. And then God comes along with this strange, unconditional love. That he loves me not because of what I do, but because of who he is. And because I'm his child. That kind of love, if we could just believe it. One of the most famous screen stars of all time was a lady by the name of Marilyn Monroe. Does anybody remember Marilyn Monroe? Okay. Uh, uh, For all the millennials out there, let me tell you what a big deal she was back in her day. She once took a picture of her dog that sold for over $200,000. She once owned a piano, and that piano sold for over $600,000. A famous dress that she wore in one of her movies, that dress sold for over $5 million. She was a very big deal. She was beautiful. She was wealthy. She was famous. She was smart. She was one of the first women to own her own production company. And yet, like a lot of us, she struggled with deep insecurity. Deep insecurity. And she died of a tragic overdose. She was still young. One of her husbands, a famous playwright by the name of Arthur Miller, was writing about Marilyn, and that one time he came home and he saw her. She's all drugged out and drugged up there on the couch. And he said, what if, what if, what if she were to wake up and I were able to say God loves you? And she was able To believe it. What if? What if? What if she had been able to believe it? What if we are able to believe it? Like the Apostle Paul when he writes, I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Can we give him praise for that amazing love? You'll never get a breakup text from God. Hallelujah. And that overcoming power of love, that's why I've got my Nikes on. In just a moment, I want to pray that you're going to leave here with a new pair of shoes. Before I do, though, I want you to meet a very dear friend of mine. In fact, him and his wife, Kelly, are here, and I'd like them to just uh, stand for a moment, John and Kelly. It is their 22nd wedding anniversary this weekend, and I just want to wish them happy anniversary from Cathedral of Faith. And they were so kind enough to spend the anniversary with us on the weekend. John is an amazing guy. He's the founder of Grace Hill Media. In in my mind, uh, if if you're wondering how are all these, you know, faith-inspired, faith-based films coming out, it's because 20 years ago, John took a big step of faith and became a bridge between the film and the faith industry, formed Grace Hill Media. And because of his work, we're seeing more influence for faith-inspired films than ever before. He's a producer. He's a best-selling author. He's a husband, a dad. Most of all, he's a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And it's great to have him here with us this weekend. Would you welcome Jonathan Bach? Yeah, John. (laughs) Yep, 22 years. 22 years. 14 of the best years of my life. <laughs> 14. I won't ask you which 14. Okay. Oh, it's so great to have you and Kelly with us. You're such very dear friends to Elise and I. And John, when I think about you know, all that you've done, you've worked on so many projects, everything from Lord of the Rings to the Narnia movies to Creed II to the Bible series to the movie Overcomer that's coming out. Looking back, do you have a, a favorite project of yours? That yeah, well, over the course of 20 years, we've, uh, my company is a marketing company, and so we've marketed film and television uh, for the last 20 years to the faith community, so studios and networks hire us. I think probably my favorite one was a movie called The Blind Side, uh, which was, uh, yeah, there you go. Lots of people have seen it. Uh, Warner Brothers asked me to see that movie, and they were, well, they didn't know how it was going to do. And I saw it in like April, and it came out in November. And I said to them, I think this is going to make $200 million just in the U.S. And they laughed at me, um, and uh, they were wrong. And, uh, you know, I mean, as, as evidence of how many people respond to that, it's, it's a movie for everybody. It just appeals to uh, all races and creeds and uh, genders, and it's just a terrific movie. So that was a real fun one to work on. Oh, that, that was, yeah. John, and John, you've done so much, uh, not only in, in helping to market those movies, but just in building relationships. You, know, you grew up in... Hollywood, you, uh, your dad was a pastor, and so you've always had kind of one foot in the film community, one foot in the faith community. Yeah. How do you see God? We see uh, things from a distance. How do you see God at work in Hollywood? Well, I mean, look, I think the relationship um, is the most important thing that has developed. When I, when I started, uh, you know, saying let's reach out to the Christian community, it was like we were pariah status. But of course, we're an enormous audience of people 
um, who, who go to church and who go to movies. We all go to movies. And so they just weren't looking at this audience as an audience. And that's what's really changed. And of course, now they're at the place where not only are they marketing movies to people who go to church, but they're actively making movies uh, to people who go to church. And so that's why you get movies like Overcomer. And you've probably seen in the last eight or 10 years, Christian movies go from like barely watchable to quite good, right? And it's because they got better writers and more budget and better directors and better actors. And so the quality of these films keeps getting better and better and better. And as as two groups of people, we have a lot to learn from each other. Hollywood, they are the greatest storytellers and we have the greatest story. Amen. So there's a lot to learn from each other. Amen. When you get those things working together, Bring those two together, and boy, there's tremendous synergy. Now, now, John, you work with a lot of churches all around the country, um, and out of, you're working with churches. This is my favorite one, though, for oh, sure. <laughs> well, thank you, you, John. You said, actually, <laughs> Ken said to me before, he said, of, of all of the services, this is the best looking one, and he was, he's right. That's right, I, well, I, I told you, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's, that's good marketing. That's, a, that's why he's a marketing <laughs> guy, that's right. John, you wrote a book called The Way Back, and um, tell me, what, you know, what led you to write that book, and, and what does that book attempt to do? Yeah, well, I think the key to the, the book is the subtitle, which is The Way Back, How Christians Blew Our Credibility and How We Get It Back. And I co-wrote it with a, with a guy named Phil Cook, who, who also is a marketer, uh, also has both feet in uh, the entertainment world and the faith world. We're, we're both deeply committed Christians. Um, and, and we see as marketers that Christianity has a real PR problem, okay? And it, it can be summed up this way, which is if you look at the things we're supposed to be known for, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you know, you know the list. Ask a non-Christian what words they would use to describe a Christian, and you're not going to hear any of those words. You're going to hear hypocritical, negative, condescending. I mean, the list is a terrible list. Well, that's a PR problem, right, between these two things. And so Phil and I maybe foolishly or arrogantly set out to like, well, what do we do about this? Let's fix this PR problem. We're marketing guys. We're Christians. We can fix this. And we started to write this book. And the more we looked into the stats of American Christian behavior, the more we just got really troubled because the the average Christian who's a regular in church now goes 19 times a year. That's it, 19 times. If you only went to the gym 19 times, would you be in shape? You would not, right? Uh, The the Southern Baptist Lifeway, the the book version of uh, the Southern Baptist, they did a study of regular attending uh, Christians in, in their denomination, they found that 41% of them rarely or never open the Bible. We're divorcing at the exact same rate as non, non-Christians. And so you start to see those things, and then you go, huh, well, maybe the things that non-Christians are saying about us, it's true. Maybe, we, we have become the fat guy at the gym lecturing other people about good health. Mm. That's, that's how we look, right? And who, who likes that guy? Nobody likes that guy, right? It would be, though, if you, like, you went to a meeting at Coca-Cola and three-quarters of the people around the table were drinking Pepsi. What would you think about Coca-Cola, yeah. right? So what we decided to do was take a look at this book and say, well, 
what's the model we can learn from to fix this? We have to fix this. And so we went back to the early church and said, how did these guys do it? And if you, if you read in Acts, you find out that the, the early church, they had nothing. When Jesus departed, those guys stood around for so long that the angels had to come along and go, uh, let's go. Come on. Let's go, fellas. But they didn't have a plan. They didn't have money. They didn't have power. They didn't have influence. They didn't have anything at all except each other and the Holy Spirit. Okay? And in 200 years, they went from essentially a cult in a backwater Roman province and to becoming the most dominant force in the Western world and then around the globe in 200 years with nothing. How did they do it? And how, how, what can we learn from them? That's essentially what the book is about. It's, it's a great book, yeah. Thank you and Phil for writing a book. It is a great book, and I, I encourage everybody, you know, after service, John will be in back to pick one up. It'll, it'll really challenge It's available it wherever, wherever fine books are sold, or, or even not fine books. Okay. <laughs> it's there, too. Okay. <laughs> uh, hey, John, as, as we get ready to pray uh, for folks who are, are facing challenges, you know, things they need to overcome, can you talk about something in your own life? And open a window up and tell us about something in your own life that you've had to overcome. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I have a great life. I mean, I, I own my own company. Uh, it's successful. I mean, you saw my wife. She's hot, right? <laughs> I mean, I got, <laughs> I, I, got, I, I got great kids. I mean, it's, it's easy to just look at that and, you know, and think to myself that my biggest problem is like, where is the valet with my car? Right. It's ridiculous. Um, but the, the truth is, is that having all of that, it creates uh, oftentimes, and, and you guys see it where you live up here, it creates a mirage of self-sufficiency that, you know, I'm good, I can do this myself, I'm, I'm fine, you know, and, and what ends up happening is the order of God and me gets out of place, right? And I, I start to look at God as my assistant, blessing the things that, that I want out of my life. And so I'm, I'm working on this movie that's coming out in a couple of months called The Hidden Life. And a character in the movie says to another one, there are a lot of Christians <clears throat> who admire Jesus. There's not a lot of Christians who are followers of Jesus. And I'm, that's like a dagger in my heart. I, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of that in my own life. And so the thing that I have to overcome is the thing I have to overcome every single day, and I've worked years and years at it, and will work on it till Christ takes me home, is, is putting him first, right, and, and realizing my place in all of that, which is to love and serve him. Well, that's a, a good word for all of us, John. It really is. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please, and, and just kind of stay in a moment of prayer in just a minute. We'll dismiss everybody, but John and I want to speak a blessing over you. Close your eyes for just a moment. If you would say, Pastor Ken, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. I've heard about Jesus. I know about Jesus. Don't know everything about him, but I know enough that I want to surrender my life to him, to make him, to put him in charge of my life, and to receive him as my Savior if that's a decision you're making today, I want to agree with you that this is your day. Wherever you're at on campus, this is the decision you're making. I want to agree with you. Just lift up your hand real high. Say, Pastor Ken, that's me. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. 
right over here, right over here, right over here. God bless you. Up in the balcony. God bless you. Up, up in the balcony. Man, this is your day. This is your day. Anybody else, this is your day. This is your day, bud. This is your day. Amen. Thank you, God. John, would you say a prayer? A prayer over the cathedral family that we would leave here with that overcoming spirit in each of us. Father God, we fall on the knees of our hearts right now. And whether this is the first time saying this prayer to you or the thousandth time, we surrender our lives to you. You are God. You made us. You love us. You will never depart from us. I give you my life now. I give you my heart now. Thank you so much. Help me to overcome what I need to overcome in my life. And I know I can do it because you are by my side and you are leading the way. Amen. 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 Let's give God praise. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. Hallelujah.